Space Shuttle, this is Flight Safety. This podcast may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle while in motion. You are clear for launch. Hey guys, a quick note before we get started today. Sometimes unexplained technical difficulties do arise and come up during recording. In today's episode, there was some strange interference noise coming from the guest side. We did try to resolve that before recording, but ultimately we couldn't quite figure out where the noise was coming from. I don't think it interferes too much with what's being said, but you will hear it today. Sorry about that, folks. I think today's guest is awesome. I had such a great time speaking with him. So please ignore the extra noise and enjoy. All right. The following paragraphs are from part one of a fanfiction series titled Right Where You Left Me by today's guest fanfiction writer, Local Vodka Aunt. It was supposed to be easy money. Film a few domestic scenes, nice and sweet. Fake a few smiles, brush some imaginary strands out of his partner's eyes, and then fuck them on a couch everyone pretended was not drenched in the sweat of dozens of other performers. He'd be all polite, pocket the money, and never look back. In theory. Except. Except he was wrong. Because right before him, wearing nothing but a bathrobe that once used to be white and a cocky smile, is no one but Kaya Alberic. The words taste like heartburn. His fingers begin to itch, twitching at his sides out of their own volition. Suddenly the air is heavy with his anger, filled with the sound of teeth grinding and knuckles cracking. He briefly considers that this might be a dream, or a particularly vivid drug-induced hallucination. Ah, don't be impressed. I'm simply a perfectly ordinary human being, just like you. Not even his imagination could be this obnoxious, though. Deluc can see the spark of recognition, the surprise in Kaya's eyes from where he stands, watches as his shoulders tense, how he subtly bites his own cheek in an attempt to get a handle on his feelings. They weren't supposed to meet again like this, or rather, they weren't supposed to meet again at all. What are you doing here? Deluc asks. The hostility in his voice surprises him comprising a myriad of emotions into piercing annoyance. Hidden beneath, somewhere where no one else will ever see, those feelings lie still and frozen, cold as Kai's touch. Surprise, hurt, longing, and joy. To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world, greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fan fiction writer today is Local Vodka Aunt. He's been a member of AO3 since 2014 and has 32 fan fictions posted for One Piece, My Hero Academia, Dr. Stone, Voltron, Legendary Defender, and of course, Genshin Impact. Local Vodka Aunt works with fan fiction in every way and serves as an alpha and a beta reader. And he's also recently embarked into the 
wonderful work of pod ficking. Yes, he is also a cat lover without a cat and lives vicariously through the steady supply of adorable cat pictures on the internet. Hell yeah. Local vodka aunt, welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for being here. Look, I didn't say this before, but in honor of you being a cat person, I have invited my cat here into the studio today. His name is Philip. He is a little orange tabby cat, and he's usually banned from the studio because he's naughty. But today, in honor of you being here, I let him in. So he's here, sitting up high on a shelf, judging everything that we do and say. Okay, so we're talking about smut fanfiction as being judged by a cat. Please tell Philip I love him, but I am also scared. It's okay. We're going to do just fine. Just fine. <laughs> so with Philip's approval here, <laughs> let's get started. So, of course, we're talking all about fanfiction today. So tell us about your history with fanfiction. Do you remember finding your very first fic? <laughs> okay, that's a bit of a story. I was 13 years old. And I've heard of fanfiction before because my bank neighbor in school told me all about it. And I thought fanfiction writers were just obsessive and crazy. Okay, but then I got my first computer and I started to hang out on this German social network for anime geeks and checked out fanfictions and was immediately validated. Back then I read some Harry Draco fanfic and I've never heard about Slash or anything before and I've it was barely readable. And I've read it and I was like, okay, okay, these people are mad. Please keep in mind, I was 13 and arrogant, as just eighth graders can be, okay? Then the sixth part of Harry Potter came out. And I was so hooked on everything that happened there. And it was such a long time before the seventh was scheduled. And then I was obsessed and crazy about Harry Potter. <laughs> so I tried again. And found, for my second fanfic ever, some Harry Lucius Malfoy Dubcon BDSM kidnapping fanfiction that yes. I read in full. <laughs> I love <laughs> because it. Because why wouldn't I? And that it just seriously shaped my life in more ways than I could ever imagine. And now I'm here 17 years later. New love unlocked by fanfiction. Also, the whole king tab in my brain. Yes, I was going to say, those are my favorite tweets on Twitter when people say, oh, yeah, fanfic unlocked all of the kinks I didn't even know I had. I didn't even know they existed. <laughs> I've never heard of it. I remember I read that fanfiction and then, you know, Lucius got out the whip and I was furiously Googling what's BDSM. Um, oh, my God. Unlocking this whole wide world out there. And I think... Three hours later, my mind was blown and I grew up for like four years and 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I learned a lot about things like that through fan fiction as well. And I never would have been exposed to it had fan fiction not been there. So I totally get that. <laughs> so much. I come from a good Christian household and I'm blessed that my parents do not know how the internet works to this day. Yeah, same with me. Very Christian, fundamentalist household. So I had to learn how to click out of tabs very quickly whenever anybody walked by. 
because you can't have anybody looking over your shoulder to seeing what you're reading because that would be devastating, you know? <laughs> so I, I got very good at hiding things. Let's just say that. Oh, yeah. That's just the religious parents go. <laughs> yeah. 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 To this day, to this day, they don't know. It's funny because they know I have a podcast, but like, I've always been very vague about the things we talk about on the podcast. So they have no idea, for instance, that we have conversations like this about smut and kinks and BDSM and all of that stuff. Because, you know, it's part of the fan fiction world. So I'm actually really excited that we get to talk about some of those things today. But um, I am curious about the writing aspect of your journey with fan fiction. Do you remember what inspired you to write your very first fan fiction? And I also want to know if you had ever written anything prior to that. I think I've written my whole life. I even wrote fanfic before I knew what fanfic was. Uh, you know, the books that are published today that are basically fanfictions, but with the name swapped out, I did that in my mind and in my stories and then just called it a day. I think there are a few very banddom, not quite fanfictions still in my folders. But for my first real fanfic, I wrote because I just couldn't stop thinking about Harry and Draco. Because I was crazy and obsessed, just as I said. And there weren't really a lot of good fan fictions in that network where I hung out. Obviously, I wasn't venturing into English fandom spaces just yet. So the number was very limited. And then one day I was very, very bored in German class and thought, oh man, I'd rather read fanfic right now. I've always played with a thought because I was arrogant back then that I could probably do so much better than all of those people. Oh, God. Boredom and arrogance are like the best recipe for fan fiction. Can I just say that? That's so great. Well, at least they got me over the weird, awkward stage of, should I publish this? Because I was full of spite. There weren't any phones back then, so I couldn't just whip out my phone and whip up AO3. So I started writing because I couldn't read and wrote my first smart piece right then and there in front row of German literature class in eighth grade. But at least Harry and Draco had a happy ending in the Room of Requirements, I guess. Oh, my God. That's so, so cool. So, like, that's your origin story in the front row of German class, like sitting there creating something that ends up defining your life now. I mean, not that we're all defined by fan fiction. I just mean, like, you as a writer. That's so, so cool. I love that. I'm sure my teacher would have loved to hear that it was actually grammar. See, you were learning just in a different way, a way that made sense to you. <laughs> and never let anyone tell you that fan fiction can't be the tutor of life here because it absolutely can. I love that. That is so, so cool. So, wow. Okay, so that makes sense, though, that you've been writing, you know, for a long time and that it's something that you were always drawn to because, uh, you know, and I'll bring this up again, but I just I love your fan fictions. The way that you write is really wonderful and just, oh, my God, it just drew me in. So I can absolutely see how this is something that you've been doing for a long time. I'm wondering, since it sounds like you have been like reading fan fiction and writing it for quite some time now, what are some of the most surprising things that you've learned about fan fiction over the years? And why do you love fan fiction so much? What don't I love? Okay, but one thing that always gets me is how versatile we are as fandom people and fandom creators. 
and we're doing so many amazing things, okay? Just think like ABO, right? Which is just the weirdest thing if you think about it for a second. Because someone just went like, what if these humans there behaved like tortured captive wolves in the 50s? And then we made a whole trope of it out of a science myth that even has been debunked like two years later. And now there's millions of words of that. And on the other hand, we turn around and then we are founding charities like Phantom Trump's Hate and get in like thousands of dollars of money for good causes. That's the spectrum we exist on and I love every single second of it. Part of that is how much effort people are willing to put into this work, even though most of us don't make any money with it, just because we're passionate or we're obsessed. And I think that this as a driving power... <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but I could not imagine obsession or passion being so powerful that they could create all of what we're doing in fandom. Plus, there's fanfic of literally everything, and they are really good, and they're mind-blowing, and amazing, and well-written, and they stay with you. And there's probably a Lazy Town fanfic out there somewhere, which could make me cry. And isn't that just the most important and amazing thing of all of these, that people just take whatever they can find, then they transform it into something that's... <laughs> smutty or thirsty or beautiful. I love that about us. Oh, I love those points so much. That almost made me cry. Actually, as you were saying it, you're right that one of those beautiful things about fan fiction and the communities around fan fiction and the communities around fandom in general, just the creative power that people have as they band together. There are amazing things, like you said, that are being accomplished out in the real world by people who are just doing it because they can, because they want to, because they love something so much. And like you said, the ability of the community to take anything that's out there and transform it into something beautiful or interesting or thought-provoking is the most amazing thing in the world. And the fact that it's being done not for compensation, not for accolades or anything like that, but the fact that it's being done for love, that's so pure and so beautiful. And how amazing is that? So we're talking about Genshin Impact today, right? Which I'm so excited about because I don't know anything about Kenshin. In fact, I love when I get to talk to people who are in fandoms that I'm not familiar with because I learn so many interesting, beautiful things about different corners of the internet and different fandoms and things like that. So you're going to have to kind of break this down for me because, like I said, I'm super ignorant about this fandom. What is Genshin Impact? Genshin Impact is the bane of my existence and I love it. It's an anime role-playing game where you play as a sibling looking for their twin with whom you travel through different fictional worlds and you lose them in a world called Teyvat and vow to find them again. And obviously because it's a, an RPG, you then proceed to do literally anything else like playing cards and fishing and cooking and hanging out in taverns and just doing a lot of random quests. But the point is you travel through the different countries of the world looking for your sibling and you talk and fight with gods and ghosts and demons, some boars, monsters, and people. 
And through those actions, slowly but steadily, the secrets of that world are revealed to you. That's the shortest version of this I could come up with. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay, so an RPG video game. I love that. Has this video game been out for quite some time or is it relatively new or? Oh, yeah, it came out in 2020 and it's a live service game. It's a gacha game that's been constantly updated ever since then. So we're coming up to three years now. Okay. So yeah, relatively new, at least in my brain, that's relatively new. But maybe maybe for players, it's not. I don't know. But um, that's awesome. How did you encounter this video game? So I didn't want to get involved in this fandom, <laughs> which is how all of my fandom stories start, by the way. <laughs> it happened against your will. Yes. Because if it's a big thing, I get very stubborn about it and be like, oh, no, I'm not that mainstream. And then I figure out that everyone else was right because it's just good. So but back then it was 2020 and I was stuck in quarantine at home. I just went to work and then went back home and you could do nothing else because everything was closed. And I looked for a way to safely hang out with other people. I missed people. And some of my friends had just started playing Genshin because it's free to play. And so I begrudgingly downloaded it so I could multiplayer with them or co-op with them. And by the time I was actually clear to go into multiplayer, I was absolutely hooked because I have met Kaya then. And Kaya is just awesome and amazing and I love him. And you're going to have to listen to me talk to him for a long time now. And then my best friend started playing too. And now we keep dragging each other down. And I'm 30k into a K-Luke fanfiction series. Okay, but listen to me. <laughs> it's actually a good game. After the tutorial level. And the maps are beautiful. And the music's nice. And the story actually really gets to you at some point. And, well, it's an anime RPG, right? But you have all of these common tropes that we already know from anime. But Genshin has this thing that I'll expand on in a bit where they play around with opposites in character design, like the god of money is always broke, or the goddess of wisdom is actually a child. And they did that to Diluc and Kaya too. So there was no way I could escape. So the opposite dichotomy for these characters sounds really interesting, right? Like really compelling, especially for storytelling purposes. Yes. I thought it would get boring at some point, but they keep on just hitting all of my weak spots. So I think I'll always come back to this game eventually. Okay, so I want to know more about Deluke and Kaya, because obviously those were the characters that were featured in your fanfiction series that we're covering today. I found them so, so interesting. It was very cool going in fandom blind because I felt like you did a really great job in your series of telling a compelling story that even somebody fandom blind could enjoy and get into. But it gave me so many questions, okay, about like these two characters. The first thing I wanted to ask you about, when you first contacted me about this particular fandom, you mentioned that the pairing for Deluke and Kaya is considered a somewhat controversial ship. And I was wondering what you meant by that. Why is this ship considered somewhat controversial? Okay, let me try and make sense of this. What's controversial about them is mostly in their backstory. So I'll expand a bit on that first and then answer your question. So when 
Kaya and Diluc were children, Kaya was abandoned by his birth father at Diluc's family's estate front door, basically. And Diluc's father took him in and raised him alongside Diluc until they were adults. So what's controversial about them is that some people consider them to have a sibling relationship because of that, and that they're basically adopted brothers and consider this ship to be incest and thus problematic and, and not very moral, I guess. So personally, I do not see it that way, though I cannot promise that even if they were like biologically related, I wouldn't ship them. That's basically the whole controversy. And then because social media works the way it works, the sites just really went up in flames and are at each other's throat. Okay, that makes so much sense. Yes. So they were raised together. Kaya is more or less like an adopted brother for Diluc. Okay, okay, so I can totally see why some people, I wouldn't consider that, you know, like, oh, controversial, but I don't consider very many things controversial. <laughs> like, I think just about everything is worth exploring in fan fiction, and whatever people are into is totally cool with me. But I can see why some people would be like, oh, that's wrong, you know, so that makes perfect sense. Now, I am curious in your opinion. What makes these two characters so interesting together? Okay, he would go with the opposites again. Because Diluc and Kaya are polar opposites to each other. They have a very classic red-blue anime coding. And they do have a fire and ice thing going on. So Diluc is affiliated with the fire element and Kaya is affiliated with the ice element. So... There's the first part of the opposites, and then they tried to turn the trope around and made Diluc a very reclusive person, a very introverted-seeing person who has very intimate relationships with the people around him, but very few. And then Kaya, who by traditional coding would be the introspective one, being like very outgoing always networking and always keeping people at arm's length. And then, you know, it just goes on like this. They don't even have the same drinks that they like. So Diluc doesn't like alcohol, even though he's the heir to a winery. But Kaya really likes wine and everything they do. They are just opposite each other. But then, as I just mentioned, they grew up with each other and were best friends for most for all of their childhood. And they still can't let go of each other. There was this huge canon event that brought them apart. And now they're more like rivals. But they still constantly hang around each other and bicker and fight. But you won't get one without the other. And they rile each other up constantly. And I love all of the directions that roller coaster takes you. I love that. Yeah, the opposites attract kind of a thing. And then just the way that these two characters seem so enmeshed in each other's conscious and subconscious psyche seemed super delicious to me. I picked up on that when I was reading your series, like, man, they're so enmeshed in each other on the deepest level possible, you know? And that was so interesting and compelling to me. I was wondering, you have to tell me, 
As I was reading your series, I did pick up on the fact that there was some huge canon event that drove them apart. And I'm so curious to know what that's about. Can you expand on that for us a little bit and help us understand what happened with these two characters to make them rivals? So there's a bit of flaw involved here. So please bear with me or stop me if I drift away. Basically, I just mentioned that Kaya was left at Diluc's doorstep, basically, by his birth father. And he is from a nation called Canria, which was involved in a huge divine conflict, basically, and was eradicated from the map. And he was sent to Moonstadt, which is where they live, as a spy when he was a kid. I think the quote by Kaya's father was, your last hope to, you know, obviously save this nation, whatever. And he never told anyone about what his mission in Mondstadt was. So he grew up alongside Diluc. And when they were 18, Diluc's father got in trouble. There are elemental powers in this game, and there are engineered elemental powers. And Diluc's father got his hands on some engineered elemental powers but couldn't handle them, and he died of that in the easiest terms. Or he was rather injured, and Diluc had to kill him with us. Like, such an angsty backstory. It's such an intensely angsty backstory. And in the aftermath of that, Kaya decided to finally come clean about why he was sent to Mondstadt. And he came up to Diluc in the most difficult, tragic time of his life, right? and told him that he was sent there to betray Mondstadt and help Kenria. So Diluc blew up on him, and they fought violently. And that was also when Kaya got his elemental powers. And after that, Diluc left Mondstadt for a few years. They didn't talk during that time. And when they came back, they were basically, well, not really enemies, but rivals at best, and had this very difficult relationship. So from Diluc's point of view, he lost his father and his brother at the same time? Yes, and under the worst possible circumstances, right? Because he didn't just lose his brother, his brother betrayed him. And he didn't just lose his father, he had to kill him with his own hands. Before that, Diluc was actually kind of a sunny, kind of a positive person. But when you meet him in game, he's incredibly angry, depressed, uh, kind of kind of a dark character, which after that backstory, totally understandable. Right. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. OK, I can see that from Diluc's point of view. That's hard enough having to kill your father. And how interesting, because there are so many classic stories in literature about the character having to kill their own father. So that feels so tragic and symbolic to me, first of all. But then to have your brother, the person that you feel like you want to lean on the most in a time of tragedy like this, and he basically admits to betraying you, your family, what your father stood for, you know, like your whole world just comes crashing down. That's absolutely crazy. How sad. Oh, my God. I think that's one of the reasons I always come back to the ship is because every time I think about this, there's just a new layer of angst that I haven't previously considered in depth. That's because it's just 
their relationship in a way is like a worst case scenario but then again they're also so close that it's like the best case scenario thank you mihoyo or hoyoverse as it is now Okay, so I'm super curious to know what this looks like from Kaya's point of view. Did he have a good relationship with his adoptive father, with Diluc's father? We don't know quite as much about Kaya as we know about Diluc. I think they're purposely being evasive on that front. But personally, I like to think... Oh no, in canon, we know that Kaya has this immense conflict inside of him about the home he was birthed at and the home he actually grew up in. His heart basically has these two sides to it, and he's torn. Which is also how this decision to tell Diluc came to pass, because he didn't want to go on lying to Diluc in a time that Diluc needed his entire attention and support. And then, obviously, that really failed. But we know he went into this with the best intentions. But for Kaya, what we can confidently speculate is how hard it must have been to not lose his home once, but lose his home twice, and not lose a father figure once, but lose them twice. And then being, like, lost in the world, because the places that he belonged to just cast them out in a way or do not exist anymore in Canrias. So that must be in incredibly hard. And also he is like, there's like no one else for him who knows the truth about himself. So he's in a way, he's incredibly lonely. Oh God, I'm so sad for him. Wow. No, yeah, that must be so hard, right? That must be so hard because as you're explaining, you know, the point of view from Kaya's side, that's so emotional losing a home twice, losing a father figure twice, losing contact with his brother, the person that he loves the most, because he told the truth, which ah, that must have been such a hard decision. I wonder if he agonized about that decision for days before deciding to do that. I'm sure he did, but that must have been so agonizing the way that all shook out. I'm also curious about Kaya reveals that he was sent there, you know, to spy and help his home country and everything. Is that still his mission as an adult after all of these tragedies happened? Is that still the work that he's involved in? So we don't have confirmation yet because we're still going there with the plot. What we know is until now, Kaya has at least superficially worked against the remaining forces from Canria since, you know, the country doesn't really exist anymore. And we know it's been teased that he will have to make a decision very soon. And we also know that he loves Moonstadt and he really is an important figure there. Like he's the second in command in the Knights of Favonius, which is like this organization that runs and protects the place. So... You know, you might say, oh, he's just a really talented spy. But you might also say, wow, he's really grown into this place. He really likes it. He's a big fan of, you know, the culture. He's into drinking. He has a lot of friends. He's widely known. He's popular. So I'm very interested, maybe a bit scared for him to see where Hollywood takes this. Yeah, yeah, because it sounds like he's really made a place for himself 
in Moonstadt? Yes. Yeah. And so what do you do with that, right? When you have emotional connections to this culture and this place and you've made a place for yourself. But you also, on the other hand, have this mission. Like one of the last things your father probably said to you was, this is important. Don't betray us. Don't let us down. And that's emotional, too. Like, what do you do with that? So I would be very interested, too, to see what he ends up doing, because it sounds like ultimately the choice lies with him. And it would be very interesting to see where he takes that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. It's just while you were speaking, I was thinking, OK, I just don't see how anyone is currently not writing fanfic about this. Well, there's a lot there. Thank you so much for the background on these two and kind of like establishing some of the canon points, because that definitely helps me understand some of the things that I encountered reading your fan fiction. Today, we're talking about your series called Right Where You Left Me. Currently, there's two parts of the series, right? Two parts that are finished. And I know that you have plans for more. So the series is currently ongoing. I'm wondering where the idea for this series came from. What made you decide to write this particular story? And then tell us a little bit about what it's about. Okay, so right where you left me is my porn star, you. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yes! In which Diluc, after being away from Mondstadt for four years, as is canon, comes back only to find Kaya at the very first shoot he's doing back home. And things escalate from there. And I'm going to spoil my own fic here, but eventually they start their own studio together and, you know, there's things are getting steamier and heating up emotionally. Oh, that is delicious. I love that. Yeah. So it's planned as a six-part series and it's basically, it's not that deep. It's pawn with feelings and at best it's crack treated seriously. Uh, so the creative process behind that, you know, isn't super intricate. I think it just came to pass because a friend wanted me to sign up for a fandom event and so we could enter together and I just tossed around random AU ideas until I came up with a sentence, friends to rivals to porn stars. And here we are now. Okay. Serious question though. Yes. I read a lot of smut. Okay. A lot. And I've absolutely seen the tropes, the porn star trope, you know, is there like a name for that? Like... Because I see it quite frequently in different fandoms. And I'm just wondering, like, do we have a name for that trope or do we just call it AU porn star trope? (laughs) I'm so curious about that. If there is, I really want to know the name because I want to subscribe to that in any way, (laughs) shape or form. It's just so delicious. I love reading it and I love writing it. I actually have never done it before, so I'm still kind of into this whole idea. Well, I wrote Coffee Shop AUs like dozens of times. I'm like, oh, porn star AUs. I've overlooked this potential. Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's what the trope is called. Maybe it is just called the porn star AU trope. I don't know. If anybody out there has a better name for it, if one exists, let me know because I'm curious too. But that's what makes it so interesting, right? Because there's a lot of potential here with the backstories of these two characters. And then you introduce the element of the porn star aspect. So you get the delicious moments of like really intense smut thrown in there too. So like this is absolutely one of the most emotional smut pieces that I've ever read in my life. And it was just, oh my God, 
It was so good. It was so, so good. You know, the thing that struck me going in in the first couple of like paragraphs of this story was like, you know, the first part of the series starts kind of from Diluc's point of view, right? And the intense longing that you get from Diluc's point of view and from his narration is so thick and so palpably present in the narration and in the way that you wrote this. He makes it sound as if his soul has always still been with Kaya, even after physically separating away from Kaya. You know, like Kaya is always there in his heart, in his thoughts, in everything. It was so palpable. I'm so happy to hear you say that, because obviously then I have fulfilled my mission. Writing these two characters one after the other is giving me whiplash because they think incredibly differently. Diluc is such an intense person. He is smoldering with emotion the whole time. He has a very stony exterior, but then he'll feel things very deeply. And if he's connected to someone, he'll be loyal to them till he dies. So for him to fall for Kaya and to feel this deep connection to Kaya, I very much believe is a lifetime thing in one way or the other. While Kaya, on the other hand, is just so much more of a person of the type to just push it away. You know, he has deep emotions, but he doesn't think too intensely on them, and he likes to act in front of others and himself like it's not that big of a deal. So they have this intensely different approach to life and a different approach on seeing things, which is fun to write, but also right now I'm trying to write their point of views in the same thick. It's like a slap to the face every time I change. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that because there were absolutely differences between Diluc's point of view and Kaya's point of view. And it was so interesting to get to kind of dig deep into that because, yeah, the way that you described Diluc is exactly the experience that I had when I was reading this because he tries to make it seem like he's so pragmatic about everything. You know, when he's talking about his involvement in the porn industry, he talks about it so matter-of-factly and pragmatically, like, well, this is my body and this is what I use it for and it's a means to an end. I do this for money and there are no feelings involved. And that's his experience up to this point, right? Where he encounters Kaya at this shoot and is like, what the fuck? Because all of a sudden, it almost makes it sound like it's his first experience on set where feelings are involved and he does not know how to cope with that or what to do with it. Yeah, one thing I'm not sure, well, Kaya doesn't know, but I made a point to like really hit it home in the fic is that basically Diluc started his porn star career by getting his first time having sex out of the way somewhere and then start working immediately. So. He's had sex dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times, but he's never really had an emotional connection or a time where he didn't have people watching him. And now for the first time, the way I set this up is not very realistic. It's uh, fanfic magic. For the first time, he's alone with someone and he has a little bit of time and it's someone he actually has personal feelings for. And then Kaya is doing things that are not super typical in porn. Like there's a tiny bit of foreplay involved. There's all of this affection 
in those little touches and everything that's not purely perfectional is Diluc's first time experiencing this. And, oh wow, writing this broke my heart for him, but also was so much fun, especially because we know, but Kaya doesn't know yet, just how much he impacted Diluc on that day. Yes, yes. Like, that's what I got from it is the experience with Kaya was so impactful because for the first time, the sex isn't transactional. You know, it's always been transactional before with Diluc. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, now there are feelings involved. But of course, Diluc is the only one on his end that would know that. But it was just so interesting how that longing comes from this very deep place inside of Diluc because he talks about harboring these feelings, these really intense feelings for Kaya for a really long time. He makes it sound like he had been thinking about the possibility of having a deeper connection with Kaya and that physical like relationship connection with Kaya for a long time. He talks about fantasizing for years about being with Kaya this way. And then, of course, like the drama happens and that's terrible. And then up oh, all of a sudden, like there's Kaya on set and he wasn't expecting that. You know, he wasn't expecting to walk in on that that day. So it was just really interesting to watch Deluc kind of get caught off guard that way. I was wondering, you absolutely get the sense that, as I said before, that his feelings for Kaya just permeate every part of his life at this point, even though they've been separated for a while and it made me wonder, do you think that Daluk ever tried at any point to let Kaya go emotionally? There were certain parts in the first fic of the series where he almost made it sound like he wanted to let Kaya go, but like just couldn't. And it made me wonder, did he even try? Or was he just not self-aware enough? I just had questions about that, you know? So personally, my headcanon is that he actually tried, or he thought you know, consciously, he tried his hardest to forget Kaya. But then he had all of those subconscious moments. And I tried to allude to them where he will go through entire days just suppressing the thought, keeping himself occupied with whatever he's doing, with his tasks and his purpose. And then he will dream of Kaya or he will wake up. And in that first second, after you open your eyes and you're still disoriented, you will think, oh, I wish Kaya was here. I wonder what Kaya's doing. I think, I bet Kaya's still up and doing X, Y, Z. So he thinks he's trying his best, but it just spills over. And I'm very much convinced that you cannot take Kaya out of Diluc. You would probably have to erase his whole memory for it to happen. Yeah, okay, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense because... There was also this underlying anger there that you can kind of get from Diluc when you're reading from his perspective. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I can understand why the anger would be there. He has a lot of reasons to be angry, right? And it made me wonder, okay, who is he angry at? Is it himself? Is it Kaya? Is it the situation? But as we're talking now, I'm realizing that it's probably all three that he's angry at, right? Angry at himself because he cannot let Kaya go. Even when he's trying his best consciously to get Kaya out of his heart and out of his mind, he just cannot do it. And I imagine he would be angry at himself for that. Of course, he's angry at Kaya because Kaya's betrayal must have cut deeper than anything that's ever happened to him in his entire life. And of course, the whole situation in general. Now, I, I think I kind of understand <laughs> where it's coming from. There's a lot there for Deluc. And, and to be fair, 
since this is an AU, I try to take it a bit easier on him. So, but his father's still dead, and there's still like corporate espionage involved, and there's a lot of, you know, heritage and living up to other people's expectations that will come up a bit later. But okay, I kind of couldn't make it work that, you know, he killed his own father and then he went to become a porn star. I just, that was too much of a divide for me there. Too much drama, right? <laughs> I felt it just didn't really fit together, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It was very interesting reading about the way that he always imagined being with Kaya this way sexually, you know, versus actually being with him in that moment. You talk about it as though DeLuke is experiencing this revelation that his fantasies didn't even come close to the real thing. And I thought that that was so... Oh, you know, that was so tingly. I don't know how else to describe that, but that was very tingly for me. I was like, oh my God, that's so great. That's so hot. Yeah, it's one of my favorite moments. And it was one of my favorite moments to write. I think there's a line in there somewhere where he looks down on Kaya and he sees this incredibly vulgar scene. It's a blowjob scene. And Kaya's just deep throating him. <laughs> and he's into it. He's super horny but then there's this entire backlog of feeling this over a decade of longing of being in love of being insecure there's this anger it all comes crashing down on him and he has trouble deciding past from present which is for, personally for me is the moment that kept me with this au i usually don't write longer fix or longer series I'm very much a, a short story writer, but seeing Diluc and Kaya both confusing the timelines time and time again and not being able to make sense of their feelings keeps me into this because it's such a delicious form of angst. It's so tasty. Yes. Oh, my God. The angst was so tasty. So freaking tasty. I mean, the way that you wrote it and, you know, the way that you put sentences together is beautiful. There's this line in the first part. I love this line from the first part because it kind of, you know, revolves around the angst you were just talking about. But it's that part where you write, he wants to slap Kaya for being there, for going along with all of this. Why wasn't he sensible for once and walked out like DeLuke almost did? Now there will never be a day where DeLuke doesn't know how it is to be this close to him, to hold the whole of his attention. Oh, that's so perfect because that encapsulates almost everything that DeLuke is feeling through this entire encounter. You know, he's like almost angry about it because he's like, now I will never not know what this feels like. I will never not know how much better this is than all of the fantasies that I've had about this very thing happening, you know, for years before this encounter. It was just really, really interesting. And I, I felt happy in a sense that this was happening because, like, I think they needed to see each other again and talk. At the same time, it's so emotionally devastating for Taluk that I felt bad for him, too. And then there's no talking. There's not, although at the end of this first part, you kind of allude to the fact that Kaya does show up later at his place of business, like after the shoot, and it's like, hey, we should talk, you know? <laughs> and I promise, I promise they will eventually, but it's so much more fun if they banter a lot and kiss a lot before that. 
So one of my favorite trips is mutual pining, and I will draw it out as long as possible. It was really great because in this one, in the whole series that you're writing here, I love the fact that they bang before they actually talk. You know, you would think, right, that in real life, maybe you would go the other way around. You would talk first and hash it out and then bang. But no, no, in this one, you know, you have the really hot, steamy, emotional banging first. That happens. And then they sort of like, you know, have that opportunity to talk and hash it out and everything. And I'm sure that that's coming in the later parts, just like you said. But um, there's the second part out of this series that is um, available on AO3 as well. So the second part is the part from Kaya's point of view, although it's not his point of view from this same encounter. This is actually Kaya's point of view before this encounter even happens. And this was just amazing. It was amazing because you could absolutely see the differences, right, in their two personalities. Kaya echoes Deluke's longing in this piece, which I thought was just gorgeous, right? Because you have the pining on Deluke's side in his piece. And then in this second fic of the series, you have Kaya's point of view. And you realize that he's longing for Deluke just as strongly as Deluke is longing for him. And it was so sad and angsty, but like so interesting to read because Kaya, his experience is so similar in the sense that he says there hasn't been a single day that's gone by when Kaya hasn't thought of him. And that just, oh, that got me right in the heart. God, yes. The difference between these characters, which I love, is that Diluc was like, okay, I tried to get this person from my mind and it kind of didn't work. But then he went about his business, whatever it was. But Kaya was like, okay, there's this person that I somehow can't forget. I'm going to scheme. I'm going to make this happen for myself. Because what's the second part is a prequel, but it's also the, the setup for my excuse for plot, in which Akaya starts this long game of getting Diluc back to him in whatever capacity. Like, he isn't choosy. He'll take anything. But he needs Diluc in his general vicinity, and he's setting it up even back then. And I think, yeah, the prequel is two years before the first part of my series. So he's really, really getting into it. I think the actually narrated time will be around three and a half years. So, you know, he's committing. Oh, that makes sense. Because in this second part here of the series, it's so funny because Kaya openly admits that he's been keeping tabs on Deluke this entire time after Deluke kind of walked out of his life, you know. I laughed at this part because he says the reason that he was keeping tabs on Deluke was to ensure Deluke's safety. And in that moment that I read that line, I thought, is this unreliable narration here on Kaya's part? Is this a lie? I have to know because that was Kaya's excuse from his perspective on why he kept tabs on Deluk. And something about that just felt a little <laughs> like, I don't know. Is that true? Do you think he really believes that, that that's the reason why he was keeping tabs on Deluk the whole time? Well... <laughs> Sorry, I think there's a line a bit later in the fake where Kaya says he never quite had the guts to lie to himself, but he absolutely does. And he's lying to himself all the time. And he's lying to everyone else while he's at it. Both are incredibly unreliable narrators. And they are unreliable with themselves, too. Like, they don't have a lot of psychoanalytic ability between the two of them. Or self-reflection or whatever. Um, but Kaya really, really hits different because they're so 
many layers to his self-betrayal. You know, not only will he lie to himself, he will tell himself he's, he's being serious in his unseriousness. And it's just, it's like a maze, but it's so fun. Oh my God. Okay. Ugh. I was right. I was so right. I feel vindicated right now, by the way. Like, that's so great because I knew it. I knew it was a lie. I was sitting there going, Kaya, that is the boldest lie I've ever heard in my entire life. And then there's this second part where I feel like he was lying. There's this other part in the second fic of your series where Kaya describes himself as cold blooded. And he even suggests that he might not have a heart. And I thought to myself, okay, I can see to a point where he would think that of himself, right? Just because of the way that he navigates, especially in his line of work. But to actually be that cold-blooded and heartless and to have such a deep emotional connection to Daluk, I was like, Kaya, you're lying. There's no way that can be true. Like, get out of here, brother. Like, (laughs) I can't even with you. (laughs) Yeah. It's incredibly interesting to me how both of them think they're incredibly cold and emotionless and jaded people. Well, they're both just really loving, kind people who just want a hug. Especially Diluc is more obvious about it. Diluc would be like, I'm so dark. I'm so vengeful. I'm Batman. There's actually... A storyline in Genshin Impact where he's basically the Genshin version of Batman. (laughs) I'm Batman. I love that. (laughs) And he will behave like Batman too. He will act all, you know, gritty and jaded. But Kaya thinks exactly the same thing about himself, which is really tragic because obviously both of them. And they really believe it too. That's one of the things they don't lie to themselves about. But obviously they're still not true. That's the impression that I got, that Kaya believed it about himself. It was just, like, so highly inaccurate that it was almost comical, you know, because I was just like, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way that you could harbor these intense, soft, soft feelings for somebody and then turn around five seconds later and be like, I'm cold-blooded. I'm heartless. And it's like, no, you're not, buddy, but that's fine if you think that. But this was actually so funny, this whole second fic, because this is kind of, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? This was very voyeuristic (laughs) in the sense that like, and I've seen this happen in other fan fictions too, where the porn trope comes in, where you accidentally find a porn clip of the person that you love out on the internet somewhere, you know, like you just accidentally find it. And that's what happens here in this fic. Like, obviously, DeLuke has been involved in the adult entertainment industry for a while. So his videos are available in some places online. And, you know, Kaya is quite the connoisseur of these types of videos. So it's actually a miracle that he didn't encounter it sooner. But um, he does. He encounters this video of DeLuke and he just can't stop himself from watching the damn thing. And so it was just so interesting to watch his reaction to seeing this video and how that affects him emotionally, because it does. This man who thinks he's so cold blooded and heartless has this like really emotional reaction as he's watching through this entire video. So that was very interesting. God, yes. For me, it was a lot of fun to write third-party voyeurism because we're watching someone else being voyeuristic. That's so many corners there. And then it was really fun, or really interesting, rather, to me to see that to be horny and then still be morally 
into it. Kaya will go through these intense moments of, okay, this is really hot, but also these people do not appreciate Dulu, not like I do, because I know this, and I know that, and I would rather do this. And then he'll get all possessive. And then I think there are a few lines where he remembers how well he can ride the look up and how well they go together. And personally, I really like to play around with the the narrative distance, I believe, because from the setup, we're very far away, you know, watching a person, watching someone else, and then go right into it, right into his innermost thoughts and feelings being like, I would be so much better. This very selfish, possessive, envious, kind of dark part of yourself where you think you're the only right person for someone else. That's one of the parts you wouldn't necessarily let someone else know about yourself. And so we're going in and out of Kaya's head and Kaya's heart. And it's, uh, it was so much fun, especially since the tone of the fic is kind of light. So there was, for me, when I conceptualized it, there were a lot of opposites for me there too because the ship's about opposites how would i do different yes yes it did feel like there were a lot of opposite things in both of these fics and i'm sure that that will continue throughout the entire series so that's really cool i also just appreciated the humor you know because like over the top of it you do put like humorous parts in these stories i loved this is gonna sound so weird but i loved that paragraph that you put in there where Kaya is setting up the scene, right? He wants to watch this video in private in his home. And you write, as the final touch, he places his laptop on the pillow. Below it, he tucked a small gun between the mattress and the headboard, just in case. He lives dangerously, after all. The two things that perfectly sum up his career, his life, porn and weapons. And I just laughed out loud at that whole thing. I was like, That's so funny. And that's so great. Like, it just put you right in that moment, you know, and right in Kaya's head. And so even though we are going through this angsty, emotional and, you know, porny smut, there were moments of levity in there that I just thought were brilliant. So I really appreciated that, too. (laughs) Thank you so much for saying that. When I first started the first part, I had the hopes that I would actually let myself have the opportunity to practice writing humor because I usually end up writing angst. And then I ended up writing angst. I'm so happy that it is, it's at least, you know, funny. (laughs) It was, it was, it was so, so funny. I was just like, oh my God. But, you know, even though it was this moment of humor, in a way, it also lets us kind of like get some very interesting insight, I guess, on, on Kai's psyche and kind of where he's coming from. So anyway, it was just really, really great. I loved this entire thing. Obviously, the series is not over yet. There's more. But I thought that this was the most thoughtful smut that I've ever read. I read a lot of smut. I love it. But this was so thoughtful. It just had everything that you would want. I mean, the smutty parts are just like intense and hot and just really enjoyable to read. There's this smut in there and all the way through, it's done so thoughtfully. And I just thought, oh, I love it. So I wanted to tell you that this was so artfully done and beautiful. So I enjoyed it immensely. So I shared a couple of scenes and lines that I really enjoyed from this fic that were my favorites to write. And um, you've mentioned a couple here and there that were really fun for you. I was wondering if you had any other like themes or lines or scenes from this series that have been your favorite so far to write. Okay, so the thing I'm most proud of, ironically, is the Luke's porn star name, Morgan Rute. 
which sounds like Morgenröte, and that's the German translation of Die Luke's name. It's Dawn in English. Nice! Yeah, I thought it was so clever, so it's my favorite thing about this, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it just sounds cool. You know, when you say it, it sounds so cool. It does. <laughs> okay, but I actually, I do have two favorite lines, one of each thick. And the first one's from, obviously, from the Luke's perspective. So there's a blowjob scene, and at the end, uh, the Luke jerks Kai off. And there's the line, however, he can't bring himself to stop long enough to make it work. And Kaya finishes in his hands, clawing at the Luke's back and holding him in an embrace that's suffocating and a liberation at the same time. And for me, that was so much fun to think of. And I felt oh, smart again. Because for me, that just describes the relationship really well. There's something right now, in this moment in time, there's something incredibly cagey about never being able to escape the person you feel so betrayed by. But at the same time, he missed him so much that it's also relieving like a way uh, or a stone or whatever falls off your, your heart or your back. I'm not sure how the English term for that works. And then there's my favorite funny sentence, which is from Kaya's perspective. And it goes like, there's a certain awkwardness involved when you're about to jerk off to a video of your estranged childhood best friend fucking someone else, Kaya finds. Which I kind of want to make my Discord status. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be the perfect Discord status of all time. Uh, it's so applicable, you know, to so many of us and to these two characters. I love it. I absolutely love that. And yeah, like, I think that that's why I felt like this was the most thoughtful smut that I've ever read in my life. Because obviously, like, you go through the mechanics of the porn bits and what happens between them mechanically. But you're also taking the time to show us the emotional reactions and the thoughts and things that are happening to them psychologically in those moments. And it was just oh, it was so good. It was so delicious. I loved it. Now, I wanted to talk about like smut writing in general here. It's so funny because I, I read so much smut. It's just not a topic that anyone has wanted to talk about on the show before. But I think that it is an important part of fan fiction in general, just because, I mean, obviously not all fan fiction is smut. You know, some people don't enjoy that. And, and that's totally cool. We have lots of fan fiction that doesn't have that element in it. But for a lot of us, it is something that we really enjoy in fan fiction for lots of different valid reasons. So it is a very popular, <laughs> you know, trope and, and genre for fan fiction. I would love to hear your thoughts on this genre. Like, what do you like the most about this particular genre of fan fiction? Okay, listen, at the base of it all, I'm a really thirsty bisexual and I cannot help myself. So to be honest, I think that sex is basically a form of communication between two people. And I think it's also the most expressive. You can have it in any kind of setup, basically, with any kind of thought, with any kind of feeling. Like, it can be very intimate or aggressive. It can be awkward. You will laugh. Some people cry. There can be really embarrassing things, like when you snort or fart or there's a funny noise. And I think you can convey a lot of feeling and relationship dynamics and 
inner workings of characters through writing erotica, actually. And it will be multiplied because sex is this incredibly intimate, difficult subject for every person. Like, I once heard a psychology student say, like, sex is, when it comes to the human experience and trying to live a good life, sex is like the most difficult level because there are so many things about your personality and the other person coming together. So I think that's so much fun to work with in writing, to take all of those experiences that one person is and then throw it into the most intimate situation I can find. And personally, I'm a writer that pays a lot of attention to aesthetics. For me, it's more important to make something pretty than make something super exciting or plot-driven. Just as a technicality, I appreciate the challenge to try and make sex as awkward as it can be sound beautiful. Because there are so many limbs, there are bodily fluids. As I said, it can be very embarrassing and you have to communicate a lot so that it's, that it's good to read. And in reality, you have to communicate a lot so that it's good to do, right? And it's a fun challenge to make it poetic, I think. And I hope eventually I get to master that. I love that. And, you know, you're well on your way because this was beautifully written. You know, like, I'm going to be honest here. I've read so many scenes, right? And this was beautiful. So you're well on your way to making that goal. Um, Going along with all of those thoughts, thank you so much for sharing those. I have heard from so many fan fiction writers out there who want to try writing smut scenes for the first time. But they feel very nervous and self-conscious about writing smut, understandably. So I was wondering if you have any advice for first-time smut writers out there who want to try their hand at it. <laughs> Keep track of the limbs. Um, <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a fat scene. So there are very different approaches. I've talked to smut writers, and there seem to be a lot of opposite preferences here. So I'm going to tell you mine, and maybe it will be helpful to someone. So I already mentioned that I'm more into the aesthetics side of writing, and I focus a lot on that. And I focus a lot on technique and how things sound, like the matchroom and the rhythm of it, if the words are beautiful, and focusing on it technically makes it a bit less embarrassing, because then I'm looking at it more from, from a technical perspective. And I think when it comes down to it, every erotica story is still just a story about two or more people experiencing something. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how dirty you think they are. They are just words. They're just sounds and syllables next to each other. And keeping that in mind, that there are no better or worse words, there's no better or worse story, there's just sounds that then make sense that then make a story and being like mindful about what I write and I'm trying not to judge it is incredibly helpful to me or was incredibly helpful for me when I started out but then again I think I don't you know my first fanfic was a smart fanfic I didn't have a lot of inhibitions to begin with but every time I'm writing something that's out of my comfort zone I'm like okay these are just words I'm making sound I'm making them sound pretty here we go and then eventually it turns out okay. Yeah, so it sounds like you're kind of breaking down the experience to its smallest parts. And that helps you not focus on 
you know, the self-conscious part of it or or whatever, which I think is really great advice, breaking it down to its smallest parts and just telling yourself, these are just words. These are just sounds that I'm creating on a page. Yeah. Yeah. Can I dish out one more piece of advice? Absolutely. Thank you. If you can possibly stomach it, get yourself another thirsty person and make them your cheerleader, you know, like a cheerleader. And you will feel better once you realize you're not alone in your thirst and your horniness. Just as with everything, if there's someone being like, go, you're doing amazing. This was so good. This was so hot. I want more. Give me. That's just one of the best feelings, right, for fanfiction writers? At least it is for me. And it will make writing whatever it is way more fun. And on the bottom line, I think fun is what it's all about. Don't write something that's not fun for you. But I do think getting a cheerleader is absolutely awesome. Oh, my God. I love that advice. I love that. You know, it's so funny because um, I have noticed throughout the years that when I read smut fix, there is often in the author's notes some sort of reference to a beta reader or a friend who was cheerleading them on, or something like that, where it was just this, like, you know, two-person smut party, and they were just reveling in the story and in the smut and the porn. And, you know, it's beautiful to me every time I see author's notes like that, because I just think fan fiction and writing in general is a lot of things, but it can also be an exercise in self-acceptance. Going back to the whole self-conscious thing, I can absolutely see where people get those feelings of being self-conscious and nervous about putting something like this that's so vulnerable out into the world for other people to see because it's almost like you're telling on yourself a little bit here. But then the potential to connect with other people who are just as thirsty as you are and just as excited to explore this with you. There's the potential to amplify that sense of self-acceptance there for lots of us who have these same feelings or fantasies or just the same enjoyment for these types of stories, you know? So I think that's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. So we are coming up to the end here. Do you have any other fan fiction writers that you'd like to shout out on the podcast before we get out of here? This is such a difficult question. I've been reading only on this account. <laughs> I have over a thousand bookmarks. Okay, so I've managed to narrow down to three. At first, there is Tearfall, who I know through their incredible Full Metal Alchemist fanfictions, and who's currently writing My Hero Academia. And they're so good that I considered binging 150 chapters just so I could read one of their fics, which was canon verse. And they write in the way that it's both incredibly tragic and incredibly funny, and you don't know if you're laughing right now or if you're crying right now, or just yes. So check them out. They're awesome. And there's Me, who has a lot of Danai fanfic, and I think a bit of Skate. And that's the best emotional delivery I've ever read. Just every word they write makes my heart sing with joy, and they're so funny. And I think they've been around for a while. So they've been into a lot of fandoms. Currently, they're doing like K-pop stuff. I will wait around for years for them to come back to something I've heard of so I can get into it again. And lastly, there's Intimatopia, who it's just beautiful. 
Okay. It's just amazing. It's beautiful. I want to cry. They are writing one of my smaller Genshin ships, which I greatly appreciate. Rare pairs. And also, since I managed to be into aesthetics, they deliver. Also, they're the only writer that I'm wrecking today, except myself, who's also into K. Luke. So if you are, please check them out. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much for those shout outs and recs. That's perfect. Local Vodka Aunt, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so looking forward to seeing what you do with this series, because I know you have more planned in there. So make sure you check that out. But thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us about all of these amazing things. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Check out his stories on AO3 and give him some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com. On Tumblr at Fanfic Maverick Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter at Fanfic Maverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. Mm-hmm.